Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everybody. Uh, we missed you last week, but Aww. for a very, very good reason. We Yay. were in New Jersey. We're holding our second annual Extra Life event. Yay! All right, so we had... <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't go... Yay! <laughs> so we had a lot of fun we met a lot of great people we raised a lot of money for a local children's hospital in new jersey it was a ton of fun so we just wanted to take a moment and thank everybody who was involved in that event um all the publishers who donated games we got a lot of games from a lot of different publishers smirk and dagger Brotherwise, aeg stronghold games uh, steve jackson games cards against humanity Privateer Press, uh, Arcane Wonders, Calliope Games sent us a ton of stuff. They were extremely supportive. Thank you so much. Uh, Cryptozoic, all these great games. Plus, and that's not even, that was like half of it. We got a ton of local support from uh, listeners, uh, local gamers from the store we were holding the event at. Just a lot, a lot of great stuff. And a lot of people showed up, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we definitely want to send a special thank you to Scott and David from Gamers Gambit. We wouldn't be able to do the event without you. Your generous donations, your support, and your hosting of an outrageously successful event. Thank you so much. The listeners who showed up there, it was great meeting you, and we really enjoyed seeing you. We want you to come out again and play with us. And a special thank you to um, Bergen County Board Gamers Meetup and New Jersey Board Gamers. They promoted like heck it got out to everybody there was a huge turnout and just big thanks to everybody out there i had a fantastic time that day it was fun yeah love to get out to new jersey and and play with those guys again yeah especially you know shout outs out to tom and yitz for kind of bringing their groups in and everyone just came off off the street all the magic players all the rpgers i mean we just had such a diverse range of people just caring about 
the children. As I, each and every time we did the auction, I'd be like, the Think children. of the children. <laughs> and they did. And we raised a lot of money. And they were very, very generous. And it was a great event. And we packed so much into such a little amount of time. And there was just such a good, positive spirit throughout the day. And it was just nice to see that everyone cared. Everyone got along. Everyone was playing board games every time. And we actually got to play board games, which was different than last year, which was great. And uh, it's just such a great community. If you haven't taken part in the board game community, maybe you just play board games with your friends, you're missing out because these are a bunch of the greatest people you could ever sit down and play a game with because just friendly, interactive, and great time. It was uh, it was awesome having a marathon session with them too. I mean, you know, the raffle you you have to be present to win the raffle. So everybody who contributed, they just stayed there all day playing games. It was, uh, you know, playing games for a couple hours is great, but playing games for twelve hours is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you got at least one big one in that you don't normally get in to fill that time. What's it? Oh, the game? Yeah, Dominaire. Oh, Dominaire, yes. Almost forgot I played that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a game that builds slowly, but man, you really get into it. it it's two, three-hour game. I got tired just walking it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it looks fun. Well, it was late. We were playing it like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, I don't know how you guys managed to pull out through at the end of a 12-hour day of gaming. Oh, let's just play the heaviest game I have. Let's... Yeah, Daniel was pretty wiped. Yeah. <laughs> but we were also able to get uh, Glory to Rome. That was that was a, a fun find, thanks to David for bringing that out, and we all got to play that. And amazingly enough, got it under the wire. Yeah. Because somebody yeah. built the catacombs. Yeah, Chris, Chris was like, i got to end this game. I'm like, catacombs for the win! And <laughs> pulled it off by a point, so that was good. All right, yeah, so Extra Life was amazing, so we're already going to start planning for next year. Thank you again to everybody who donated, and if you weren't there and want to donate, uh, you still can. There's still a link on the website that's going to be up for the next few weeks, so... Um, you can still participate. You can be part of this awesome community and help the children. For the children. <laughs> All right. So that's what we were up to last week. Uh, in the meantime, Drew gathered some great news for us. Take it away, Drew. Yes. Let's shout it from the tabletop. Some great news. Um, I, uh, since I'm doing some shouting, I want to shout out to Purple Pawn, a great website that uh, I read religiously. It's, it's probably one of the best board game news sites out there. A lot of things... At least one item every week that I talk about with you guys is something I first learned about from them. So I encourage everybody, if you want a, if you want a really good news site, Purple Pawn. One of the things I found out about from them was this unique Poker Stars chess tournament. A couple months ago I reported on that, that they were going to have that on the Isle of Man. Well, um, they reported on the results of that intriguing tournament. Purple Pond didn't. They told me that the, the tournament was over, but I had to dig this out on my own to find out who won that, that hybrid chess and poker tournament. Okay. <laughs> that was interesting. It was uh, a fellow from Norway, Bard Dahl, who uh, was actually a, a poker player, professional poker player, won 1,800 pounds. Uh, it was the top prize. So you had chess players and you had poker players all playing. And here was the thing. The chess players were getting all this extra money because you, for every game you win, for every game you win in this little pre-qualifying tournament, you get more money. But of course, the poker players didn't care. They blew it off because they know they'd get it all back in the <laughs> in the poker part, and they did. Um, the The curious thing is that the world chess champion is Norwegian, and now the world chess slash poker champion is Norwegian. Um, interesting hybrid. And I know when I brought this up the last time, I, I asked about whether we could do that kind of tournament. Some other way, blending some games with poker. Hmm. 
Um, we'll have to try that at some point in the future when we do our little mini conventions. Are you talking someday. about Smash Up, Drew? Smash Up, and then so you earn money from playing Smash Up. Oh, okay, that too. Because that's the idea. You play a round of games to uh, earn money, and then you have the poker tournament. There you go. To lose it all. Because <laughs> <So>, <laughs> everybody gets winnings from the, from the first round, and then only one person walks away with the top prize, I think, uh, with the second one. So we've got to do that. A hybrid tournament. It was, it was really cool. Um, also, something else I found out from Purple Pawn, they, they have a, uh, like a bi-weekly report of all the championships, all the news um, with the golf scoreboard. World uh, Catan Championship was decided. Uh, a fellow from Estonia won that. Couldn't find out exactly how much he won, but it's just intriguing that there are games out there that you can just focus on and, and travel the world and make money. And, you know, who knew? When you were a kid and your mother says, are you going gonna to make money from playing all those games? Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> Why not? Um, not only can you make a little money playing board games, but you can make a career out of it. Um, New York University, NYU, last year started an, uh, a Master of Fine Arts program in game design. And coming next spring, 2015, they're expanding that to include a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. So now you can get your entire college education focused around board games. Brilliant. You can make money designing them. You can make money playing them. Is this a wonderful time we're living in, guys? Well, I don't know if the make money statement fits with the rest of that. But a little money. <laughs> you can make a little. That's, the rest of it is factual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Results not guaranteed. No. No. You can make a few hundred bucks here and there. Why not? Well, if you do what you love, you'll make money. I mean, if, if reality television has taught us anything... You know, somebody making cupcakes and the parents going, you'll never make money. And then they get a reality TV show. Now they're making millions of dollars. So if you can create something that people love, there's no end to it. Okay. So the, the lesson here is spend a lot of money on a BFA at NYU and then get a reality TV show on the History Channel and well, you'll make a million dollars. Well, that's true go. too. But you could be, you could make the next Settlers of Catan. Or the next ticket to ride. So a reality show about designing board games. Ooh. Right? Why not? Yeah. America, America's next top board game designer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a quick quick bit of uh, news. Rio Grande is releasing two-player rules for Power Grid. Um, there are some people that really wanted that. Uh, I know a lot of listeners, a lot of gamers are solo players and they're two, two-person players. They just play with their significant others. Power Grid released the two-player version in their recent big box deluxe set, but they're creating a PDF and posting that online, so you can just play two-player with any Power Grid set that you have. So, like, straight two-player, no robots? Um, no robots? Yeah, you can buy, there's a robots oh, yeah. expansion you can buy. That... No, that's without an expansion. Okay. So they're just making the PDF available. Okay. Um, so they've designed that. Which is cool. It opens up. I think... Every game should be two players because there are, I read about so many two player people. Yeah, if, if a game's three and up, I won't buy it because I know I won't play it at home. So. That's it, yeah. And you have a second player at home that you're introducing games to. Yes, yes. <laughs> and his mother, who occasionally <laughs> lowers herself to play games with me. <laughs> um, one of the most intriguing bits of news to come out of the past couple weeks was at the box office. The number one movie a couple weeks back was Ouija. Or Wea, however we want to pronounce it. <laughs> it is the first time in movie history that a board game has come in at number one on the box office list. However, the question we need to address is, is Ouija really a board game? 
Well, it does have a long history, right? I mean, there was that time where you had the quote-unquote spiritual practice of summoning spirits, and then someone said, hey, let's sell that to everybody. <laughs> um, you know, throughout the generations, there have been a good number of, I guess, spiritual practitioners who either hate it because maybe you could accidentally do something bad, which I think is the point of this movie. Mm, yeah. um, it mocks what they do. Or it just kind of, you know, you're trying to sell off a trinket or a toy that is not going to happen or could be just like ripping people off. But, um, you know, it's a it's a board game as much as uh, I guess you want maybe want to say other dexterity games are in such a way because there is that kind of, I don't know, bodily, psychologically kind of principle that your body just if everyone puts their hands on the that that puck piece sending vibes it, it moves it just unintentionally so i guess i mean there are some board games out there that actually require less thinking than ouija in some ways <laughs> would you call it a toy Yes. Yeah. Really. It doesn't really have rules, right? There's no victory condition for Ouija. Yeah, no competition. It yeah, doesn't meet yeah, any yeah. of the definitions of game. Yeah, there's no no contest, no rule, no victory Well, if you condition. contact the undead, then that's done to win the game. <laughs> there you go. So. It, it fulfills the definition of tabletop, but not game. Mm-hmm. So we're still looking for that first true tabletop game to hit box office. And or that isn't horrible, because this movie got horrible reviews. Yeah. Well, it's a horror movie. But they all got paid, so... They all got paid. <laughs> so there was a victory a victory somewhere for somebody there. Yeah. There was, let's, let's put it this way. There were winners, and clearly there were losers. <laughs> let's focus on the winners for our last uh, point. Uh, ICV2, the um, entertainment industry website released their summer white paper discussing the, how sales were in the various entertainment fields. So I'm going to do it a little bit differently with you guys. Uh, this week, I'm just going to tell you the category. And Family Feud style, we're going to put the top 10 answers on the board. 42. You guys get one <laughs> shot at naming a game on that list. And Chris, don't look at my list. <laughs> and whoever has the highest one on the list wins this round. All right. Okay. The list is top 10 card slash dice games for the summer of 2014. Okay, Chris, you're to my left. I'm starting oh, okay. with your top Hard. one from the summer. It could be an evergreen or something that's uh, been a recent popular game. Um, magic? Well, that's that wouldn't... Okay, it's, it's a, a card game. The the CCGs are a whole category of oh, themselves. Right. Yeah, we, we, mentioned, we brought that up last time. Okay. I should have reminded you. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, Love Letter? Love Letter is your guess. Anthony? Uh, Smash Up. Smash Up? I really don't like this game, but I'm going to go with Cards Against Humanity. Cards Against oh, Humanity. Oh, you win. That's, there's no way that doesn't win. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Cards Against Humanity comes in at number nine on the really? list. Yes. I keep so Shame on you, Daniel. Nine popular game. <laughs> it's going to be Uno or something. <laughs> which is actually something that neither of these guys scored. Both of both you guys are not in the top ten. Wow. So, Daniel, the guy who hates this game, <laughs> won. <laughs> Cards Against Humanity. The top three were um, number three, Adventure Time, Card Wars. Really? Ugh. Yeah. Well, it's the hotness, right? I guess. Everybody wants it. Number two, Android Netrunner. Huh. 
Number one, solid game. Boss monster. That's an excellent oh, game. Really? Yeah. Nobody thought of that. I no. would not have thought it was that. That's good that it's doing that well. Number it's one, a fantastic it's really game. picked up a lot of momentum in the last year. Yeah, that's a huge Kickstarter success. If you want one, yeah, sure, it worked. So those were our top three, and that is our news from the tabletop. Alrighty. So next up, let's dive right in. Look at some of our acquisition disorders lately, uh, including some games we actually added to our collections from our long, long lists. Uh, that's coming right up next. Acquisition Disorder Corner. Alright, so Acquisition do- Disorders this week. Anything anybody's looking at that looks interesting? Uh, well, as you guys know, I, I've, I've been talking about picking up the D&D books for a while, and uh, not too long ago I picked up both the Player's Handbook and the Monster Manual, and coming out soon is the new Dungeon Master's Guide. And Historically, I have not really needed to lean on those too heavily, but they do offer a lot of additional material material you can throw in, and this edition of D&D has been so awesome throughout, at least from my looking at it, that I'm pretty excited about the possibility of picking up the new Dungeon Master's Guide when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah, I grabbed the Player's Handbook, too. Um, it's really cool. So <laughs> I don't need any of the other books. That's probably where I'll stop. I'm not running a campaign, but it's just fun to read. It's been a while since I grabbed one of these and read it, and I'm like, this is cool, because the 4th edition handbook was not fun to read. No, it really wasn't. Hey, look at all these powers that are stupid and break the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. No, it's a lot of fun, and you can see where they went back on some things and where they've evolved a few other things. Um, It's a lot of fun to read through, so I'm excited for you to build a campaign for me to run through. (laughs) You bet. Just give me some time. I'm going to kill me some kobolds. (laughs) Not if they're Tucker's kobolds, man. They'll come and get you. Mark information. Don't challenge the DM. What are you doing? (laughs) Send them wave after wave. Come on. Bring them on. Bring them on. I don't want to be in his party. (laughs) I left, I've left the party. Uh, on the D&D side of things, uh, this is a game I actually just picked up, but it I wasn't going to buy it, but I bought it because it looked really nice. And that was the D&D Attack Wing, which just came out this last week. So if you've listened to this for a while, you know my general opinion of WizKids' uh, production quality. It's not good, historically speaking. Uh, their stuff is pretty awful looking. But it's definitely gotten better in the last year, and I think that's best illustrated by the new Attack Wing stuff. It looks decent. Uh, it doesn't look amazing, but it looks good, considering it's a mass-produced miniature product, and it's painted. Um, the, the starter sets, the three dragons, they look good. Like I wouldn't have a problem putting these up on a shelf somewhere. So that alone, plus the fact that it was reasonable, plus it looked new, plus the, this ground-to-air combat thing looks pretty awesome, plus you can apparently make people fly to fight the dragons, it's, it's going to be awesome. So... I've just been digging through it. We haven't actually got it to the table yet, uh, but it looks cool, and there's enough expansions that I can now put it on the acquisition disorder list, and probably, <laughs> probably realistically need to figure out what to do with those X-Wing models at this point, because I'm never going to play that game. <laughs> um, can you can you put these two sets together? Can, Ooh. Oh, could, wow. I mean, there are similar rule sets, but... I'm sure it's not meant to be played that way, but you might be able to play it that way. I'm sure someone will come up with a hybrid rule set. You know, you could do, <laughs> do it. I don't know how well it would work, but because it's probably versus spaceships, that would be kind of awesome. That would be, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you have land troops just shooting up at them. <laughs> well, I guess they're D and D, so be throwing spears. Yeah, but magical Spells. spears. Yes, 
Magic missile. Magic missile. Oh um, man. The day that an ex uh, the day that a tie fighter gets taken out by a flying orc with a magic weapon. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in. We've made it. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, society has made it. <laughs> There's a clearly the winning goal. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, anybody else got anything on the acquisition disorder radar? Well, I just found out about Dominion, that they are back in business. It seems like Rio Grande figured out that deck-building games are not dead, and they're bringing Dominion back uh, back to life. Deck-builders are really con they're continuing to be strong. So, major expansion coming for 2015, and it's time to dust off the old cards, add some new sets to them. I think they're, they've decided now to go for evergreen status, to become the magic, the gathering of deck builders. That they're always going to be there, they're always going to have something new, keep the sales up. It's, it's a solid game, and I'm curious to see what is going to come out, what they're going to put out. Because yeah. this was supposed to be over, right? The last expansion was supposed to be done, they yeah. were supposed to wrap up. So this is kind of a surprise that they're you know, producing a new expansion for this. Yeah. They're, they, like I said, I think they want to be eternal. Yeah. Maybe they finally hired somebody to listen to their fans. It's like, oh, you want more Dominion. Okay. Oh, you want oh. us to reprint San Juan. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, you want a power nice. grid with halfway decent components. Okay. Don't, te <laughs> don't tease me with the reprinting of San Juan. <laughs> cool. Who knows? It might surprise us. Yeah, it could happen. I hope it happens. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Alright, uh, that is everything for the acquisition disorders this week. Next up, we're going to take a look at what we've been playing lately. Kicking the Habit. Hey, Kickers, this is Chris from Kicking the Habit. And on episode 21, we're going to take a look back at Strife, Legacy of the Eternals, Minton Games, Pirates and Aliens, Meteor, a real time cooperative card game, Nine Shooter Quick Draw, a new Square Shooters game, and for our feature review, the interactive museum of gaming and puzzlery that's now on Indiegogo. So check us out on Wednesday, November 12th, 2014, and I'll let you know what games to kick off, what games to kick back and wait, and especially what games to kick to the curb. At the table this week. All right, so we got a few games to the table at Extra Life this year, which, by the way, is a market improvement from last year in which I played all of one game, and it was like half of a game of Summoner Wars with me and Chris half asleep <laughs> right. being like, I, whatever. <laughs> that was, I wish that had been filmed. I bet it would have been funny. <laughs> it was like the least interested game of Summoner Wars ever. I'm like, I hit your guy. You're like, all right, man, whatever. Can I go sleep now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the raffle, or, or whatever. <laughs> um, don't play Summoner Wars at 3 in the morning. It doesn't work. Uh, but this year we got a lot of games to the table, um, and one of those games, which was won, this was donated by Smirk and Dagger, this was won by one of the gamers who was there, Seth, and that was Dread Curse. Uh, Dread Curse is a game that we played previously, I don't think we've talked about it here, but... Uh, Kurt over at Smirk and Dagger donated it to us last year, so we played it after last year's Extra Life. Again this year, again uh, a hit with the gamer who won it. So we wanted to talk about it, because it was kind of a fun game. It fits into that uh, Smirk and Dagger look and feel of games where you're kind of getting each other. You know, Cutthroat and Cavern style, but not quite as mean as that. Um, the goal of this game being to collect the most money 
there's a bag full of money, but also in that bag full of money are black spots that if you have at the end of the game, you just straight up lose. So you have to try to get the most money while simultaneously giving that black spot to someone else. Um, we, we played with three players, which meant there were two black spots, which means only one person could win. This actually completely changes the game, but I've played it both ways. So the game, I think, probably is intended to play with more people, where you can kind of float these things around and try to keep track of where it's at. But with three people, it really is just a matter of, like, hot potato. You're just trying to get rid of that black spot. Yeah, I ended uh, up winning with the least coins on the table because I had so few of them that there was no chance that one of them was a black spot. Yeah, yeah. the game really is get rid of your coins, you know? Yeah. Um, there are eight different roles in the game, and you're going to bid... F- basically, you bid for captaincy. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the number one rank. And then there's seven more after that, and you just choose in order which one you want. And each of them has their own special power. They call it a cheat. Um that lets you tweak things. So some of them let you give away coins, for example, which is super helpful if you're trying to get rid of a black spot. Others let you draw a lot more coins, which is good if you're just trying to get more money to win. But again, with three players, that didn't seem to matter very much. No. Uh, and then there's cards you can draw that have special powers that just let you mess with people. So, um, including a card that make, gets rid of all of the other cards, which Daniel glared at me for <laughs> ten minutes. I thought he was gonna flip the table. Um, uh, I was just about to get like twice my my pot's worth of coins in one play, and then he destroyed everything. To be fair, I was trying to play the card that let me give away a coin, and you guys kept stopping me. The only thing I could do was just destroy everything. Yeah, I had to scorch earth it. It, oh, was... it was it was a totally legitimate move. <laughs> yeah. it totally legitimately screwed me. Yeah, so. It's uh, it's not quite on the level of Cutthroat Caverns in terms of end friendship games, but it is a smirk and dagger game. So there are yeah. going to be those moments where you're like, come on! Um, but I don't dislike it. Like, I don't usually like those stab your partner in the back kind of games because it just creates that tension that's really hard to maintain. Um, this one's a little lighter. It's a quicker game. It's like 30, 40 minutes. So it was fun. I would play it again. I don't... I don't t- typically buy these kinds of games for myself, but if I was going to, this might be one that I would pick up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty light, and it's, well, as you know, you do get screwed a lot, but it's hard to take it seriously, so, you know, you'll glare, but not really. Just, yeah. The black spot, it's something I've heard before. Was that Treasure Island? Robert Louis Stevenson, did they rip that off from, uh, Well, because the black spot, that was like, you're dead, you're dead. Yep, man. it's the curse. Yeah, yeah. yeah the curse. Yeah. Well, Muppets Go to Cracker Island had it too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's yeah. where you remember. Yeah. The captain's got that like skeleton hand where he's like half cursed, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's, it's the archetypal pirate curse, mm-hmm. but okay. it's fun, and it was really light and quick, and the game flows fast enough that even if you do get kind of stabbed in the back repeatedly... You still have a chance of winning, but also the game doesn't take so long that you're like, oh my god! (laughs) Um, Yeah. There's a lot of... This game surprisingly has strategy to it, how you play things out. So it's not just like, hey, you're going to do something good. I stop you again and again and again. It really does like, I'm going to play this at a certain point, then use this special card, and then use that ability. So I have to make sure I have that role. So... I mean, for me, I usually don't like those type of games. This game I do like a lot. It's it's probably one of my favorite Smirk and Dagger games. Yeah, it's fun. I would pick it up um, if I needed a game like this. Yeah. I don't currently... Ha- Again, I don't have a spot in my collection. I don't have... I think our group would do fine with it, but just in general, um, 
those are tough games to get to the table. But if someone wanted a stab your partner in the back game, this is the one I would recommend. Uh, well, I know everyone else has played this before, but I played for the first time Seven Wonders of the Leaders expansion, uh, which I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, the leaders add on a new unit that you can buy at the beginning of each phase that adds special powers uh, that help you build up a chain to eventually, hopefully, conquer the world. Uh, I've been a fan of Seven Wonders since I first played it. I think it is the first game I played with you guys, uh, so it has a special place in my heart. Uh, <laughs> and, and playing the leaders expansion was fun. It added you know, an additional mechanic on top of a familiar game. It sort of revitalized a game that had started to get a little stale. Uh, not too much earth-shattering about it, right? It wasn't like, this is a totally different game! Which is good, in a sense, because it meant that I could still, you know, I was still familiar with how the game would progress. Uh, but yeah, it's just an additional layer, nothing fundamentally earth-shattering about it, but it did make the game a little bit more fun, a little bit more complex, a little bit more engaging. Yeah, this is my favorite expansion, I guess, at least until Babel hits the table, because... When you get the leaders, when you do that first kind of card drafting and you have, you know, the four leaders in your hand, you can actually build a strategy. And, you know, when you play Seven Wonders normally, you get one or two cards and you're thinking, maybe I'll go science or I got a good blue culture card. Maybe I'll go that way. But with the leaders, you can actually build something to begin with. I know, Daniel, you had the one that reduced the science cards. Yeah, Archimedes. Yeah, so you were, it was, it put you on an initial path to begin with. But it does have enough flexibility that since you do, in the end, discard one of those leader cards, you can choose which three to play or you can cash out for gold. So for me, I always play with leaders. It gives you strategy and it gives the, car the game a little more character because I guess you have characters in the game. So it's like it actually has a face to go along with the game. And it's cool to think about like, I'm, you know, like Archimedes in Egypt, you know, and that's pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's the DC deck builder of civilization games, right? <laughs> <laughs> Archimedes in Egypt with the Colossus of Rhodes. Like, okay. The history majors were like, no. <laughs> no, but I agree. It's um I love Seven Wonders. It's a fun game. It tends to be the go to game when everybody's like, What do we play now? There's six of us. I guess Seven Wonders, but then everybody has fun. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Um with the leaders expansion, it's cool because if everybody there has at least played the base game, it takes five minutes to teach this new mechanic. Because it's not even a new mechanic, it's just you're drafting more cards, and they have slightly different icons on them, so here's the book to look at the icons. That's it. That's all that it adds. But somehow, it's just... This is one of the things Bowser always does, always does really well, is finds a way to add something very subtle, very simple, like, not too much. Like, some game designers just, they do too much. Like, I gotta add stuff to this game. Okay, so we need a new module. Not two new modules, and eight miniatures, and a new board, and three decks of cards. And it may or may not work. And he's like, all right, one deck of cards, one book with some new mechanics. That's it. We're just gonna tweak what we have. And it just fundamentally improved the game. And like Daniel said, in a very subtle way, it's not earth-shattering, but it makes it, especially if you've played Seven Wonders like 80 times, it makes it kind of a new game. Quick question. Um, you only have an opportunity to bring out one expansion. Would it be leaders or cities? Leaders. 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 Right. I mean, s s people like cities a lot because it does a couple of things that people have been clamoring for, which is more player interaction. So with cities, you'll be able to use spy cards, which will allow you to copy technology mm -hmm. off other players. You'll be able to play um, the other black cards, also do the um, tax everybody at the table, which is a nice additional dynamic. 
And cities is necessary if you want to play with eight players. Yeah. So if you if you if for some reason you're getting eight players together and you want to play Seven Wonders, which is great, then you must have cities because it's the only one that lets you do eight, and the eight is usually teams of two. But you um, so but for seven players, say you say there's more bang for the buck with leaders. I think so. Yeah, enjoy yeah. yeah. And it's telling that I've played this game, I don't know, maybe 30 times, and I've only, nobody's pulled out cities any of those times except once, and only one person out of the seven playing put any of the black cards down. It's just people, I don't, it, it's a cool mechanic, and it does add to the game, it just, it seems to not really fit the feel. People, when they, I want to play Seven Wonders, a certain feel you want to go for, cities mm-hmm. doesn't really fit that. Leaders caters to that. And you can yeah. play, you can play both. You can play cities Combine and them. leaders okay. in the same one, and there are leaders that specifically benefit from the cities cards. Does that bog the game down though? Is there too much AP no. if you combine them? I don't think so. Not at all. It, it plays. You just have to take out a certain number of cards. It plays very smoothly. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to AP in Seven Wonders in general. It's one of those games that moves at a good clip the entire time. I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, you only have usually after the first two or three turns you have somewhat of a direction you're going you have limited choices you're like oh i have six cards and only two of these are viable yeah or none of them are viable i'll be able to wonder that's it those are your options it's one of the genius things about this game so wait for babble let's make the game more fiddly with another board but it's a cool board (laughs) i I want to see how it works and early reviews have been good so we shall see bowser <laughs> All right, so one more game we got to the table. Uh, Chris. Oh, so we had an opportunity to play Machi Koro. This was the game that was released at um, Origins, and it's kind of it's it's kind of a weird mix between being an outstanding kind of complex dice rolling game and absolutely adorable little kind of almost kid looking game with the graphic design and the cartoon artwork. It almost looks like an app game with those little pictures of the different buildings. Mm-hmm. It's so approachable, and since you're rolling dice, it's pretty simple as far as that's concerned considering the mechanics. Um, you sit down and you'll start with a wheat field, and is it a cafe? Bakery. A bakery. And depending on how you roll the dice throughout the game, you can benefit. Um, people can steal resources off of you, or you can take resources from other people and when you receive those resources, you can buy other buildings, which are also cards in the game, and those cards chain together so that you can build up your resource pile in order to build one of these four kind of final buildings that will win you the game, and whoever builds the, f- the four buildings um, first wins that game. And it's light, fun, interesting gateway game with seemingly no end as far as expansions are concerned because you're just kind of swapping out the different decks and this game probably would benefit greatly by a number of different expansions. There's one coming out uh, kind of on its heels in a couple of weeks. But uh, an outstanding fun game that you can really play with anybody. Yeah, this is a game, um, I picked it up recently when it came out. They had the, uh, the promos for the gaming mega store, So I wanted to grab it while, before, while those were hot. Um, but it is super simple. And like the comparisons that I heard early were like uh, a card game version of Catan, which... It's a little like that because you are building out, you know, your options and then dice rolls will affect what you get based on those where you're at. So, and you can double up like you could in Catan, so you could build three of the same number. So when you roll that number, you get multiple bonuses. Um, you're not getting resources per se, you're just getting money, which you then use to build your landmarks. But 
it's got that same idea where there's strategy involved, but in the end, it really comes down to the dice rolls. Yeah. You're just trying to build towards the most likely dice rolls that are going to benefit you, and at the same time, try to block what other people are doing. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you can build a tableau, I'm happy. Yeah. It's fun. And there are... There's the mechanic to kind of steal from other people is a little limited. It only really applies on three dice roll numbers. Um, there's the cafe, which is a three. So if you build those, you have the one in six chance on everybody else's turn to steal money, which actually worked really well for me. So <laughs> I think it does work. Um, and then there's the nine, ten when you get to the two dice. Uh, and you can upgrade it at certain points to roll two dice. Um, but if people are building a lot of cafes, and there's a risk to that. So there's a lot of, like... Mm, balancing and measuring what other people are doing but at the same time the game is severe like it's a lot of momentum like if somebody starts to build momentum with even a little bit of a money engine the game will end pretty quickly yeah. like it only takes two really good rolls pulling in 20 or 25 coins and the game's over um which seems to be how it's built which is fine so as long as you know that that you you know it's kind of a race like you got to get the money quickly uh it takes 52 total cash to build all your landmarks so they have one one card in there, um, which allows you to swap out someone else's card for one of yours, um, which is a way of breaking that engine. But we, but we just never got the chance to to really put that into practice. So it's not like if somebody has an engine that it's invincible. It's just that somebody among the opponents has to step forward and say, "Okay, I'm going to break it." And nobody wanted to do that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of those things in these kinds of games is, like, you get to choose. Like, do I go stop somebody or do I keep trying to build my own thing and hope that I can beat him? Like, do I race mm -hmm. or do I, like, put a roadblock up? Same thing at Catan. You're like, well, if I go this way with my road, I can make my road longer. Or I could go this way and block him off. But that could hurt me. Why would I hurt myself unless the benefit... Like, there's the cost-benefit ratio. You have to and then it comes down to dice rolls, too. So, yeah. I mean, there's... You can build the best tableau, you're just not rolling the dice. And But I, what I really like, too, it reminded me of Dominion in a way, too, because I think even what Anthony was doing this in the second game was you got to build an engine, you have to build a tableau, you have to kind of kind of catch a certain number of uh, die rolls that you want to be able to hit. But at some point, you have to start purchasing the victory point kind of buildings at the mm -hmm. end. What I liked was, unlike Dominion, it doesn't clutter your tableau. It actually gives you a special ability, each one of those. So, like, roll an extra die, get an extra bonus, roll the die again. If you get doubles, you can take an extra turn. So, I really like that part of it, that the victory condition wasn't hindering you, which it usually does in most games. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of game that rewards conservative play. Um, rather than trying to build up and get more dice to get more options, the one die uh, method seemed to work. It worked in both games. Play conservatively, yeah. yeah. And you got some lucky die rolls on that, too. Yeah, I had an engine set up where every time I'd roll a seven, I'd collect a lot of money. It's just I rolled threes more often than you rolled sevens. <laughs> you rolled two dice, you rolled threes. That yeah. Drew gave me more money than the game yeah. that I got for myself. A like, three is terrible. <laughs> and I kept rolling fours, which was very beneficial. So it, it's a game where you can, you can set up your cards, your tableau, based on probability, but then you still got to roll the numbers. Got to roll yep. the numbers, yeah. Oh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a fun game that was charismatic and simple. I think expansions would help it greatly because right now there are a limited number of options, right? So after playing it twice, I'm kind of like, yeah, I know what's on the board. And now it really does just feel like it's dice. It all matters. How the, that's all that matters, how the dice come up. I don't feel like there's any more... There's not a whole lot more creative things I could do putting stuff together. I think we found the the formulas. 
And so I'd like to see more cards come out so there'd be new formulas to, yeah, to make. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think it's a good new gateway game. Like, if yeah. you're looking for a new gateway game in your collection, um, you're tired of teaching people Catan, this could be a good one. It beats the heck out of Catan. As a gateway, yeah. 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 And it's quicker, and you don't have that trade element that can bog the game down. Yeah. So, and... On my acquisition disorder list, I'll just jump ahead, is the expansion, because I think it comes out in December, so I'm going to pick that up, and we'll see what that adds to the game. All right, so that's everything at the table this week. Next up, our feature review with Drew is Pandemic Contagion. Achoo! Uh Uh-oh. And now for the feature review. Well, the first thing I have to say about Pandemic Contagion is that Z-Man respects the brand. It, it's great to see um, a publisher who nurtures a brand, and every time they come out with something, it, it moves it forward. Pandemic itself is a game that didn't really have much future, other than creating some more characters, some more roles. You could expand it. You couldn't, you couldn't really change much about it through a few more events. So they took the next step, and redeveloped it, reinvented the wheel, so to speak, reinvented new versions of Pandemic. So for Z-Man, it came down to reinventing the game using different mechanics, finding a new way to express what we've all come to love about Pandemic, the original game, in different versions. Well, Dice, a great mechanic. They created a Dice game. Um, Risk Legacy came out, and now they're working on Pandemic Legacy. It's a great mechanic, great way of extending the brand. Contagion specifically flips the game around, and it actually borrows a little bit from games like Smash Up, where everybody's competing to take over a particular card. In this case, in Pandemic Contagion, it's cities, cities that we've come to know from playing Pandemic. Every city has a population level, and it's up to us to overwhelm that city by placing our cubes on it. In the original Pandemic, every city just had a limit of three. In this, we're racing to fill up the card, say a particular city has nine cubes. So we're trying to put as many of our infection cubes. We're competing. You know, it's not like we're, we're cooperating anymore to take over the world. We're competing to be the one who kills the most. I guess that's really what it comes down to. We're killing people with this game. But we're just using little transparent cubes to do it, do it with. So the point of this game is to wipe out cities. Or to, and to be the dominant force in the cities that are attacked by infection. We do this through adjusting our individual powers. Everybody starts off with three basic abilities. Uh, the number of cards that you draw every, every time you choose that action. The number of cubes you place during an infection. And then the resistance that you have. Because every round you turn up an event card. And some of them are bad for viruses. It's like they're fighting us back. Why would they want to do that? But uh, sometimes the UN, the World Health Organization, comes up with a, something to, to push us back. So the resistance mitigates that factor. And we have the option to change those powers, to either draw more cards, to place more cubes, or to have stronger resistance. The one other factor is you score points for having the most cubes. You also get a bonus for finishing up a city. If a particular city has 9 million inhabitants, signified by the number 9, Whoever places the ninth cube on that card triggers a special action that's found at the bottom of the card. So it's not just a matter of trying to have the most on a particular card, but to have the last one on a particular card. And by the way, there's, there's point values for the top three finishers in each city. Ties are settled 
by whoever was the first into that city. So the cards, the city cards, actually have lines drawn through the middle. So the first one in there puts theirs on the first line, their cubes, the second one on the second. And that's how tiebreakers are resolved. It's a, it's a pretty cool way of doing that. But all of the components are things that we're familiar with, the cubes and the cities, um, and the cards with the various colors on them, very familiar to people who've played Pandemic. So the question is not whether it's a good Pandemic game, but whether the game stands on its own. It is, is it a worthy game? What did you guys think? So I've played this game a couple of times now, um, and the first time it was hard to get past the, this is just like Smash Up, <laughs> which I know if you've heard anything about this game, it's probably one of the first arguments that comes up is whether it is or is not. Um, a derivative of Smash Up. I don't think it's a full derivative. There's a lot of things that are unique about it. It definitely takes the core mechanic of everybody building towards a certain break number on a city or, or a card or a city in this case. Um, but your ability to mutate your virus and draw more cards or increase your infection level, it's more complex than Smash Up, which is a relatively simple game. Um, so the comparison, I think, ends with the way in which you break the cities. Uh, the actual game, though, because we played it twice, played extremely different both times. So I think... Depending on the event cards, how they come out. The event cards drive the game almost yeah. entirely. Because the first game we played, we cleared the table. All the cities were wiped out because none of the event cards really hit us that hard. The second time, there were still like seven cities left. And the scores were all, like, only one person broke 50, whereas the first game, everybody broke 50. Um, it was a lot harder to get anything done because it kept pulling our virus cubes off the table. <laughs> it was immensely frustrating, which is probably more in line with, with the way the game's supposed to go. It's that it's a hard, you know... Those UM people are always trying to stop our yeah. evil-doing virus activities. Stupid World Health Organization. Jeez. <laughs> well, this was a case where one of the, the factors I tried building was the resistance. So when a card came up that says remove three cubes of every... I still had some cubes left on the board when everybody else yeah. lost theirs. Yep. It's definitely a little bit of press your luck there because there's a chance that those World Health Organization cards don't hurt you that bad. Yeah. So you could just dump all your resources into in incubation and infection and just try to rush the board or you could play it safe and build up your resistance so those cards don't hurt you but then you're not doing anything for the first few turns of the game so i didn't i think most of us did the former and we suffered for it except for drew who did the latter and run, ran away with it um, resistance was not futile no <laughs> so that was cool because it does impact the way you play like you can take a risk and maybe the cards aren't that bad or maybe the cards pull four cubes off and your resistance is worthless and you just lose everything you built over the last few turns Drew, the event deck is that always the same cards but in different order or is that is there other cards that you discard and there are um I think there are two different decks, the, just your basic event deck and then a, a UN-WHO deck. Sure. You're pulling three cards from each deck out of the game, so they're set aside. And uh, so what you have left are 12 cards that you play. So out of 18 total cards, you're only using 12. That's good. The first time Anthony and I played it, uh, the same time, we only got through seven or eight of those, I think. Yeah. So you're, yeah, we cleared the, deck, the whole table. Yeah. If the game goes quickly, you're not even using all those. That's really interesting because, as Anthony was saying, that really gives you a different gameplay, especially since you don't know what's going to happen no. to your virus. So maybe you could get away with just spreading you know, fast and furious, and maybe you don't get pulled off, or 
maybe you get pulled off each and every time and you never get to build if you don't build a resistance. Here's something else that changed um, between the two games uh, Anthony played. Some of the cards, the event cards, are marked with cities. So when you turn that particular event card over, you add another city to the tableau. Four-player game, you start with nine cities. Sure. The first time we played, I don't think we added any until we very had, late in the game. We added one. Late the, the whole game. game, yeah. And so we yeah. cleared all of them, and we're like, how do we get more cities? We cleared it so fast, we thought we played the game wrong. <laughs> That's how it ended. Whereas in the second time you played it, we got two cities like right away. So right early in the game, we were playing with 11 cities. Um, so you have you have decisions to make. You know, try to clear a board. You only have so many infection cubes. So if you're spread out, if you diversify too much, no cards are broken, and you're left with no infection cubes left. You're you're sitting there collecting, drawing cards, basically doing nothing else. So you you really want to start breaking these cards, scoring your points, and getting some powers so that you can free up your cubes for more infection. That's one of the things. And sometimes if you know somebody is all tied up, you purposefully don't break a card just so they can't yeah. do anything. Yeah. Sure. I, I really enjoyed the, you know, what was surprising to me is your own kind of machine, your mechanic that you were putting together. If you were building up your resistance, if you were mutating, just that was really very much your own. So it wasn't kind of like you and I are doing the same thing every round. So I could put out three or four, where you could put out two, but your things are more are stronger than mine. Yeah. So I like that idea. It was nice to be able to kind of mutate and adjust things on my own board, and it didn't take a lot of work. It's a pretty simple game as far as you get to take two actions and you get to choose from the two, you know, the actions that you have listed on that little board. So that little player board gives you the list of the actions, the um, diff three different opportunities to kind of mutate and change those abilities. So pretty simple as far as gameplay is concerned, but um, a good amount of different tactical decisions to make in the game and strategic decisions on where you're going to place your cubes and if you're going to break someone else's location. Exactly. It all changes from game to game. Yeah, it was surprisingly... I mean, the first game, I wasn't sure what I thought, but having played it a couple times now, I think it's, uh, it's well-designed. I think it's a tight game mechanically. I, I think the replayability is there. I think the variability is a little funky. Um, like, the, the range and the way the game can play makes it so... It might be a little harder to teach up front, like, telling people what to expect. Yeah. Um, so the first time through the game, you're like, all right, these are the mechanics, stuff's going to happen. Yeah, let's just turn the card over and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of to the spirit of Pandemic. So, like, I like that. That's yeah. cool. But... Well, it's close enough to Pandemic so that if you played Pandemic, you okay, I think I can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the variability, too, because if you always had to... Um, you you know raise your resistance. It would kind of be a boring game because you knew like I have to take this step and I have to take that step. So by having a lot of different event cards, that's pretty interesting. You know I don't yeah. know what to expect and I can play by the seat of my pants. Yeah, I mean yeah. since there's no variation between what different diseases can do by default, you need that variability between the way the game will come out sure. time over time because that means that there's different strategies for how you build things. I did find myself missing variability based on my disease, right? So there, like Anthony brought up, and I'm sure everyone's brought up, there's this comparison to Smash Up, and right, in Smash Up, everyone's different. Yeah. And I like that. I like mm -hmm. that everyone's got their distinct mechanic and their distinct way of moving and acting. And in this game, it's all very... You, you all have the same capacities at the beginning, and you can all develop in the same ways. And the only differences you can get are qua uh, quantitative, not qualitative, right? You can do more of the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I did find myself missing that, and it started making the game feel sort of dry to me after a while. It is a little, and it's tough because the theme doesn't really come through super strong. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should. This game kind of falls in that area where it could make people uncomfortable if you start thinking about it too much. A couple of times, I'm like... Oh, they, they're very plain in the rules. You know, this is... The city has nine million people, and you're wiping it out. It's kill. They use the word kill. You're I, yeah, killing no, people. Thematically, I mean, it's it's all there. It's it's a little more abstract, though, because there's not a map. Like, yeah. the full game, there's a map, so you can see what you're trying to save. Yeah. Um, you have people on cards. You have faces. You know, it's more character to it, which makes sense in a co-op. Um, but this game, and maybe it's just, like, the timing, like, what's been going on in the news lately, it's, you know, there's there is a borderline pandemic happening yeah. and people are trying to stop it so playing a game in which you're trying to kill people with a disease is like i don't know if i like this too much but the theme isn't so thick that it like i don't know i don't it doesn't feel like it's not oppressive you can be you can just be playing cubes which yeah. you know i would have liked to seen some additional mechanics i know that the locations are variable but i would have liked to seen a situation where if you have an infection in one area that it could spread to the other adjacent cards, the other areas. Oh, that would have been nice. That would have been kind of cool. And I would also like to see a little more player interaction, whereas, like, I was the first virus there, or I have the most virus cubes in a location, and therefore I'm going to mutate and take over Daniel's virus that's in that Mm. location, take his cube out and replace it with one of my own, almost like Revolution does. You know, so, like, there could be a, a special card or ability to be able to kind of, like, Oh, you're killing people. I'm taking now, you know, converting your virus into my virus, and now we're doing, the, you know, something there. So, but it, it'd make more sense. infection. It'd yeah. make more sense geographically on a map. This is just cards dealt to a tableau. It, it doesn't have that same geographic connection. But even with the, you know, we and unfortunately we know about like with air travel and everything. You could say, you know, oh, air yeah. travel, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's tough because it's easy to be like, oh, expansions, but it doesn't seem like they have that in mind here. Like, everything is very tightly packed in this little yeah. box. And it's actually, like, what you get in this box, and I think it's $30 MSRP, it's, it's a pretty good deal, but it's really tightly packed. There's no room in here for extra okay. stuff. Which is good for finally, for once, that you don't get this gigantic box yeah. with, with, you know, <laughs> two components in it. Uh-oh. I- uh, I can see a small deck did of... Some, did someone place cubes on you, Daniel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, here, let me place some more cubes on and we can break them. <laughs> it's my uh, apartment. I can see... <laughs> I can see maybe them coming out with a small deck of expansion. I can see them coming out with a small deck of event cards by way of expansion, but that's, that's pretty much... It's a self-contained game. Yeah, yeah they're not going to expand the mechanics on this, probably. No. Um, they could, like you said. I mean, that would be a cool way. It's a billion it. dollar idea. Dog, yeah, I'm it. telling you, it's it's a cool. Tweak it. it only just needs a couple of different rule changes. That's, that's all. <laughs> well, I think it is part a good part of the pandemic family. Um, it, it supports the brand very well. On its own, I, I give this a strong play. I can't see categorizing it as a buy um, at this point. It's it's sort of slight. Um, it, it's a light game. I would love to play it if somebody else bought it. It's um, it does have that replayability, but I don't know if it has a future. If you're if it's like you say, there's not much room for expansion. Yeah, I mean, there's no fat to this game. It really is well thought out. It's mechanically perfect. It has a it's thematic, not heavily thematic, but it it has enough theme to it that. If you want to look for a theme, you will find a theme in this game, and you can play it out in such a way. 
Um, as, as Anthony was saying, it does have a little more of a sinister theme to it. So it's almost a buy for me. I would, I would like to see some additional mechanics, maybe either from a variability or if somebody can kind of put those together. Um, but, you know, Pandemic has been a little bit bland, but this gameplay is tight enough and the game is short enough that it's a, like like you said, Drew, it's a strong play, but maybe even a buy if I can if I can pick this up in a, a good situation where it gives me just just a little bit more. It's almost it's almost a buy there for me, which I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, I I think with this game, um, uh, they've done a good job of not overdoing it with this mechanic. So sometimes when you see a mechanic in another game, you're like, well, let's use that and build on it, or we have this idea, let's integrate it, and they do too much with it, um, like. High Command and uh, Hordes and War Machine did that way too much. Way too much. Yeah. They're like, oh, this cool idea where you take all these locations and these other six mechanics and then these mechanics and then this deck building mechanic and then it became a mess. This game, it, they made it very tight and they found a way to make it unique to the pandemic world, which is cool. So it feels like the pandemic brand while using this other unique mechanic. Yeah. And that's hard to do sometimes. It's, it doesn't feel like a retheme or a reskin of another type of game. It feels like its own game, which is cool. Um, I don't know how often I would play it, uh, like if I owned it, so I don't feel like it was something I want in my collection necessarily. And for reference, I don't own Smash Up either, it's like that's not a game I feel like would come out a lot in my house either, so it's not like I, I like the mechanic and don't think Pandemic does it well, I just don't necessarily know what situations I would play. But on the same side of things, I think I'm with, with Drew, it's a strong play, I think it's a good game. I think it's worth playing. If you like Pandemic and all of its expansions, I think you'll like this game. And um, if someone else had it, I would absolutely play it when it came out. Uh, Anthony, remember we played Study in Emerald, and there was there was the two different roles. One was to kind of save the Ancient Ones, and one was to kill the Ancient Ones. Mm -hmm. How about if you had a hidden role in this game where, you know, like what scientists and doctors try to do is, you know, um, put in a cure that looks like the disease and, but it's actually curing people because it mimics certain things in order to kind of kill those diseases. But you're breaking locations, but it turns out that you're, you're a, a cure that's so, being put out into the public. So you're suggesting a trader mechanic. A trader mechanic, yeah. but in this trader mechanic, it's a positive trader. It's a good guy. Well. It's a good virus. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's almost a, or like a nanovirus taking over in order to kind of, um, you know, um, immune, immunization all of the people in yeah. that location. You wouldn't necessarily guarantee that there's a, a trader, so to speak, in each game, but like I think Dead of Winter does this, there's always a chance that there's a... You could. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it doesn't. The other viruses are not going to care, but yeah. you could have one of those situations where, you know, instead of in, you know, kind of tweaking the negative connotation of the of the theme a little bit, you could be um, a vaccine that's being spread throughout locations too. Okay, let's work on this variation. Now we have a two million dollar idea. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for me, I thought the gameplay was actually a little bit bland, right? I, I liked the event deck variability, but the rest of it seemed very, very bland to me. And the art also seemed rather bland to me. I mean, they all have the same picture on every card. Uh, and so, for me, this would be a weak play. The only reason it's still in play is because it's so short that you're not suffering much if you don't like it. Um, but if it got any longer, it would move down to dodge, I think. Uh, there are just there are better games on my shelf. There are games that do this mechanic that I, I enjoy this mechanic, and there are other games I think do it better. Smash Up particularly, 
So I'd be very hard pressed to find a time where I would pick this game to play. Would this would this be worth uh, adding to a short list of filler games? Do you think it would fill that role? I don't think it's that short. No. No. But I do agree with you. If it was a longer, if this game took like an hour, hour and a half, it would be a dodge for me too, I think. Yeah. Like I, I can't see playing this multiple times at 90 minutes. It's not, so that's not an issue. But yeah. Yeah. it's short, so it, that definitely plays to its strengths. And sometimes the way the event decks come up, it can be really short. And I, and yeah. I know, you know, artwork is always a, you know, a consideration in price. But as Daniel said, it would have been nice to have different artwork and the graphic design and the cards were a little plain. I mean, for the, for the price of the game, it's totally understandable and reasonable. But, you know, full, for, you know, full MSRP, I would like to see something a little more dramatic kind of artwork. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Pandemic Contagion. It's, it's a well-branded game and worth playing. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And this is the first of the uh, non-co-op pandemic branded games yeah. to hit the shelves. So we'll, uh, we'll try to hit, swing back and touch on The Cure when that one comes out. And then Legacy. I know we're all psyched for that. Yes. Probably yeah. next year or the year after. Who knows how long it takes to write a legacy game. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's everything for our feature review this week. Uh, next up, the final round. So Veterans Day is coming up soon. Not a day to celebrate war, but an observance of those who have given their lives. When we play war games or board games like war, we're not, we're not celebrating destruction and death, but uh, we're appreciating the, the complexity sometimes of the issues behind war and uh, the difficulty of putting your lives on the line. There are some really good board games that have war themes that sort of straddle that line, and that's what I thought we might, we might focus on here. Games that best straddle that line, uh, a board game and war game both. The, the most fondly remembered war game is basically a, an extension of the old little um, pushing soldiers around the floor to, to imitate war, and that's Stratego, where you're just pushing little wooden pieces around the board to find uh, the flag, to capture the flag. Stratego is pretty much a straight-up war game, transferred onto cardboard, tabletop, and it's simple to learn, easy to play. You still have that theme, your generals and your miners, you're, you're trying to break through the other lines and find their flag and, and avoid their bombs. Simplistic war, but it really does capture, I think, the theme very well, and it's, it's a great starter game, great way to, to teach kids. I learned it as a youngin'. So that's my favorite. I'm going to pick Memoir 44. I think what is really interesting and unique about this game and what really kind of brings home the situation and um, the honor and sacrifice of the veterans is you're actually putting out these figures and you can get a sense, a very small, tiny sense, but a, a sense nonetheless of the enormous obstacles and danger and just complexity and just crisis that was going on and yet you had to move forward and you had to move forward and you had to send men to their death mm. and just you know endless in waves and waves so the game and the mechanics that go into play here are respectful are interesting and are visceral when you play this game so it really does for me embody that kind of um, memory and uh, sacrifice uh, for me, I'm probably going to go with Axis and Allies. It's it's a classic game. Uh, it has the complexity that makes a good war game and the uh, sort of portability and relative ease compared to other board your war games in a way that makes a good board game. Uh, and I think it provides 
uh, enough detail to provide a, a good high level view, you know, a view of 30,000 feet of war, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. no board game is going to capture what life is like on the ground, but it might give you an idea of things like logistical considerations and troop movements and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think Axis and Allies does reasonably well there. Um, it gives you that chance to play what armchair historians enjoy, changing history. Okay, yeah. if you change your strategy and do this instead of that, would the results have been different? Um, yeah. Sometimes that's one of the more interesting things about a war game. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's basically history. It comes down to changing history. That is our remembrance of Veterans Day. All right, so one more thing before we sign off for the day. Uh, we did get a question in uh, via email uh, responding to one of the segments we had a couple weeks ago about Umba. Or as Drew put it, ooh ooh MBA. <laughs> um, this is from Michael Grohl. He's in Germany, all the way out there, and he brought to our attention the fact that Umba has been involved in, um, to some degree, a kind of a Kickstarter uh, concern of sorts. So we wanted to address that because there are some people out there who are involved in this, about close to a thousand backers, who uh, are concerned, understandably so, about what happened. Yeah. It's, uh, it's another one of those Kickstarter nightmares. You don't always want to take the, the, the position that if, if you give money to a Kickstarter project and you don't get anything back, that it's a scam. There are a few scams. But with the prevalence of Kickstarter, what's more likely happening is you have a company out there starting a Kickstarter project when they had no business to. Um, they might have an interesting idea, a concept, a game. In this case, uh, it was a combination of a game called Zico and an online platform, which eventually became Umba. Um, and they just weren't ready. There were problems with the original uh, project moving forward. Someone on the board filed a lawsuit. Um, there was bankruptcy. There was a lot going on. This was basically just um, a half-formed idea that wasn't ready for its time. The one thing that came out of this was the online platform, Umba, which also became a live streaming service for board gamers. That's still a strong going concern, and the tendency may be among some to blame Umba for what happened to this game, Zico. There are two different things. The one thing that ties the two together is the founder of Umba, Michael Williams, was also one of the uh, project creators for Zico. Um, but they are actually two separate projects, and we don't want to make it sound like we are supporting anything which scammed people. Just making, just want to make it aware that sometimes stories are more complicated than we think. It's also a cautionary tale. Just be careful about backing projects from people that don't have much uh, of a pedigree, don't have much of a history. This was a, this was a solid game, and Amy Tucker, who was the creator of the game, was known to people. Um, but as a business concern, it, it just never got off the ground. Yeah. And it's understandably, you know, if, if you're one of those backers and you've yet to see anything two years later, you're concerned, you're upset. Um, so it's, you know, we totally understand Michael where you're coming from and, uh, we're glad to be able to bring this to light if anybody who's not aware of it, um, and of course, anybody who wants to make sure they don't get scammed on Kickstarter, make sure you listen to Chris's podcast. Kick in the habit. Because... You know, that was the reason why we started that podcast, because so many of these projects are wonderful, rare gems that if you could find them, you could help some great people and get a great game. And some of these are horrible money traps that 
um, where people are looking to just grab your money and run. And it's difficult to figure out which are which. So what we try to do each and every week is to help you look at the projects intelligently in order to make a educated guess um, if this is a project that will fund and is worth your money. All right. Thanks for doing that for us, Chris. All right. So, again, thank you, Michael, for your email. Uh, He also asked us about what we think of games six months to a year later. So that might be something we take a look at in future episodes now that we're over a year in. Kind of our look backs. Um, In particular, the Game of Thrones LCG. I can tell you right now that I wish we played it more, but it's been a long time (laughs) since we got that to the table. Part of that being that we're constantly reviewing new games. So something to keep in mind when you ask podcasters whether they've played an old game again (laughs) recently. Uh, but again, thank you for your email, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on those things in the future. But for this week, uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at BGA Podcast. Make sure you download and listen to Kicking the Habit, new episodes out every Wednesday. And make sure that you connect with us on Board Game Geek, where we have a guild, as well as BoardGamersAnonymous.com, where you'll find all of Drew's most recent articles and all the podcast episodes posted there. But that's everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the quarantine zone. (laughs) Daniel's apartment. (laughs) 